Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Rich, I appreciate you putting that music on. So what happens when Rich Radavalli puts your music on. You have no idea what it is, what year it's from, or anything along those lines. But thank you, Rich. All right, another episode of the 77 WABC Sports Podcast. I have a guest today. I'm going to introduce him in about 20 seconds. Just have some housekeeping I'm uh, going over right now. Philip Dixon has been removed from the podcast. Yes, Rich, he's been removed. It's a cold world, and I'm a cold person, and I had to do it. It just wasn't meant to be. It's a long story. To make a long story short, Phil is not happy with me. So, Jay, how's it going? I'm with Jason DeMaio. Jay. Mike, how's it going? Happy to be on the show. I guess I'm pretty happy to have you here. Um, at the end of the day, everybody that knows me knows that I have a guy for everything that I do in my entire life. And, Jay, you happen to be that guy for uh, college basketball. So, congratulations. Thank you. Happy to be that guy. It's a special time of the year. There's a lot going on on and off the court. So, happy to uh, talk some hoops. All right, let's start with, I guess, the, I guess you could say it's the biggest news of the week in the college basketball landscape. St. John's, a ink rink, Rick Patino on a six-year deal. Before we get into the specifics and, and your take on it, what was your instant reaction when the notification popped up on your phone? So this is something that's kind of been brewing in the college world the last week or two, um, ever since the Big East tournament really started, the rumors started flying that this was actually, you know, a possibility of happening. It's something that a lot of St. John's fans were hoping would happen. It was the no-brainer move. It's a move that immediately elevates them to relevancy, as you can see with all the national attention they're getting. And it was a move they could have made in 2019 before they hired Mike Anderson, who was just fired. And due to his NCAA allegations, he was kind of blackballed from the sport. He was coaching in Greece at the time. A lot of fans still wanted it to happen. But, it, you know, for the, the Catholic school that St. John's is, they were kind of putting a strict bearing on it. But a lot has changed since 2019 at St. John's. They got a new president. They have a new uh, – they have a pretty much a new settled-in athletic director. And the FBI cleared Rick Pitino's name, which is the biggest thing that I think was able to get this done. So um, a lot of PF fans, even though they knew it was the right thing to happen, they didn't think the school, you know, would have the cojones to kind of pull the trigger and get it done. But uh, the new president who came in, Father Shanley, who built up Providence to what it is now, he comes in and takes over as the president, and uh, he got his guy. He knew it was a move that had to be made if St. John's wanted to win and win now. And I'm so happy that uh, they were able to get this done. So St. John's like a legitimate, like what is their, what, I don't, I don't want to say ceiling, but like what do you, where do you think they, let's just say next season, where do you see St. John's finishing? I know they obviously have to go through the whole entire recruiting process and, and, and that, and you could have probably a more clear answer for me in like three or four months. But right now, if you had to take an educated guess, where would you say St. John's finishes next season? Well, I think with him, they're automatically uh, a top five team in the Big East. Uh, they already announced, uh, Rick Coutinho said at the press conference at MSG yesterday, they're keeping Joel Soriano, who was first team all Big East, averaged a double-double, led the country in double-doubles double in the regular season. He was a key piece 
So St. John's, you know, has some stability there at the center position. Uh, listen, this guy, he, he, it's easy to get players for him to play. They want him to play. He's taken three different schools to a Final Four, has countless NBA players having success. You look at Montrose Harold, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Terry Rozier. I could go on and on. So, you know, if this was two or three years ago before NIL entered the college world and before uh, transfers ha- um, had a free year of transferring, they used to have to sit out a year, if you remember, when they wanted to announce a transfer. With NIL and with the transfer portal now having kids having free reign to transfer and not have to sit out, he could get this thing doing a 180 in a year. Listen, I'm not expecting them to make a Final Four or a Sweet 16 next year. Obviously, I would love that, but the team, the school hasn't won a tournament game since 2000. So you don't, you don't want to, you know, put the meal in front of you before you even have the food there. So let's. Uh, the expectation is that this team should be an NCAA tournament team next year. They're going to compete in the top half of the Big East. There's already multiple five-star guards, New York City guards, that they're already hitting on the recruiting trail. They got their big, their best big man, who's going to be a preseason All Big East player. So um, they're going to have some uh, tools to compete next year. I agree with you. I think this was a superb move by the Johnnies. I've, I've heard some people in the media say they don't think it'll work out. I really don't know how you can validate that. Pretty much anywhere this guy has went, he's had success. So excited to see what St. John's next, does next year. Now, Iona, they lose Rick Patino, and about a day later, maybe twenty-four, less than 24 hours later, they bring Tobin Anderson in, who was the coach of FDU, who upset number one Purdue. What's your take on this deal? Yeah, so clearly Iona was, um, they probably saw this coming with Rick Pitino leaving with how quick they were able to transition from a, their old coach to the new one in Tobin Anderson. Uh, I like the deal. I think it's a stability hire. Uh, from what I've heard from people that I talk to, everyone has glowing things to say about this guy. Listen, he's not the glowing name Rick Pitino is, but what people don't realize is even before Rick Pitino got to Iona, Iona was still winning the MAC Conference. They were still count, countless NCAA tournament appearances in the last decade under Tim Kloos, but no one really cared to pay attention because they didn't have Rick Pitino coaching them and they play in the MAC. So now uh, with Rick gone and Tobin in, who clearly had overnight success at Fairleigh Dickinson, I know he didn't win his conference tournament, but listen, he got D2 players to play at the D1 level, and they got to, and they were doing it at a good rate. Um, the school thinks that this guy uh, – can get the job done. Iona's had a good track record of coaches. You look at some of their recent coaches, Rick Pitino, Tim Kloos, Kevin Willard, who was at Seton Hall and is now at Maryland. So uh, Iona, when it comes to coaching hires, uh, they haven't really missed. So um, this guy knows the area. He's coming across the, the Hudson from Jersey to New Rochelle at Iona. So I think it's a good stability hire. Um, like I said, you lose the glamour of a coach. You know, you don't have Rick Pitino there anymore. But um, I think Iona's still in a good position. I actually like this hire. Uh, I don't know much about college basketball, especially anything about Tobin Anderson, but I did some homework on him. It was He coached one season at FDU, and prior to that, he coached 18 years in Division Two and Division Three basketball, so it's a huge step up for him. I'm excited to see um, how he does. But enough about the coaches. Let's uh, roll into the March Madness Sweet 16. We have four games Thursday, four games Friday, Jay, you're a chronic gambler, myself as well. Let's just go through the games, talk some picks. We'll, we'll, I want I want some winners, really. That's kind of why I have you on here. Um, you are a... This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. A successful, I would say, college basketball gambler. So um, what do we like this weekend? The first thing that sticks out to me is the Xavier and Texas matchup. I'm not going with anyone to cover or not cover. The thing I'm going with in this game is the over. These are two teams that can really score, and they both have the guards to do it. When you look at Xavier with Sule Boom, Adam Kunkel, Adam Kunkel just hit, I think, six or seven threes in, uh, in his last game in the, in the tournament. Uh, Marcus Carr on Texas is going to be a stud and is going to be an NBA first-round pick this coming draft. Uh, these guys both have solid big men, Christian Bishop for Texas, Jack Nungy, who's a senior on Xavier. These guys have coaches that like to get up and down the floor at Rodney Terry and Sean Miller. Uh, this, there's going to be a lot of points in this game. I think this is going to be the highest over-under set of the games this uh, Thursday and Friday. So you're going to see a high over. I know the unders so far this tournament have been killing it. You're going to see a higher over for this game, probably in the high 140s, maybe even approaching 150. Don't let it scare you off. There's a reason it's that high for a reason, and uh, I would go with the over in this game whenever they set it at. So whatever you, it's at. you nailed that almost as if you're looking at it in front of your phone. It is the highest over-under of the weekend. It's at 149, opened at 148.5. 60% of the public is on the over, and you're also right. Majority of the games thus far have went under. So Xavier, Texas, that's your favorite play thus far. Any other spreads you like in uh, any of the eight games? Yeah, just looking down, I, uh, what sticks out to me, I really like Kansas. I really do. Uh, I'm a guy, whether you say I'm losing value, whatever, Kansas State at one and a half right now against Michigan State. I'm a guy, when I see that uh, p- that .5 point, I always buy that kicker. Take it up to two. Give yourself that extra sense of security. Listen, Kansas State got doubted in the, in the second round. I knew they were going to have success against uh, – who they played, but listen, Jerome Tang has done an overnight rebuild for this Kansas State team. They played in the best conference all year. They were picked last. They keep getting doubted. They keep getting picked as underdogs. People don't want to buy in. Listen, I'm a guy when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I'm fading the Big Ten. They haven't won a national championship since the year 2000. I know Tom Izzo's a great coach, and usually when he gets past the first round, he's either in an Elite Eight or he's getting bounced the first round. So history would try to tell you to pick Michigan State. I really think Noel on Kansas State is going to have a have a game here. So uh, I like Kansas State if you can get on that plus two, depending on what your book has in that. Yeah, right now I'm seeing that one and a half. Kansas State actually opened at the favorite. The uh, reverse line movement that don't that don't scare you at all. No, not at all. Kansas right. State's confident. They have a, a video going around that uh, they have their coach blasting little baby dancing with the, the oh, team I saw that. practice. Listen, these guys are locked in. They know that. Uh, they're underdogs, and they've been picked underdogs all throughout the year, and all they've kept doing is winning. Jerome Tang is a beast of a coach. He was a Baylor assistant with uh, Scott Drew for 18 years. He won a national championship on their bench two years ago. This guy knows what he's doing. He's going to have them ready. Michigan State has looked eh in an eh conference all year. Um, give yourself the security of two points of the bucket. Go with Kansas State. Okay, well done. I'll be putting my uh, everything that I own on, on on both of your picks. So if you see me in the street, it's because of Jay. Um, Jay, let's move along. Actually, I actually have a question for you. Um, I don't watch much college basketball, as you know. I do love the tournament, 
and I was watching the Gonzaga TCU game. I believe it was the last game Sunday night. And Drew Timmy, man, he really impressed me. I know everyone jokes around and he's like some seventh-year senior. He is a 22-year-old senior, turns 23 in December. Is he an NBA prospect? Yeah, so honestly, out of all the – as the college hoops junkie I am, uh, that you know I am, when it comes to those West Coast teams, they all tip off at 11 o'clock yeah. on a Thursday night. The West Coast teams are who I see the least of, but obviously I know who Drew Timmy is and I know his game. Listen, he's a difference maker for that Gonzaga team, and they're going to go as far as he takes them, especially this year. Uh, they, had, they don't have Jalen Suggs that they had recently. They don't have the guard play that they've had recently. I do like um, sorry, I do like UCLA in this game, but when it comes to Drew Timmy, um, he does so much more as just a traditional big man. He has some range in his shot. He can space the floor. He has impeccable footwork for a guy his size, for someone who's not a complete athlete. Um, I was actually checking mock drafts today, and a lot of them have him going as the, in, a, in the late first round. Obviously, you know, with the with the NBA draft, after those first five or seven picks in the lottery, you know, this thing can crapshoot. So um, some teams going to take the risk on him. What if he can translate into the NBA? I see his ceiling as being, you know, a role player off the bench at his max. This guy's proud. If I had to put money on, he's going to be a guy that makes a lot of money in Europe one time in his career. So, um, but um, no, Drew Timmy's going to get drafted this year, sec- early second round, the latest I'd bet, and um, he's a, he's a real stabilizer for that Gonzaga team. Yeah, he's obviously one of the more popular names in college basketball, and it was really the first time from like start to finish I watched him play, and I was actually impressive. Now, like you said, I don't love his athleticism, but impeccable footwork with the left mm, shimmy, but he was impressive. Um, I want to talk about one more game, and then we might change gears here. We might get into a little bit of baseball, actually. Princeton and Creighton. Princeton, the Cinderella of the tournament thus far, the 15th seed. They've won two games. They are now 10-point underdogs against Creighton. Do they have any chance to win this game? Yeah, this is a live dog. I do like – I'm a big East Homer, but I do like Princeton here with the points. I think uh, what are we? I think 10 is just a little too much. Uh, there's another New Jersey writer that I, that I know, Jerry Carino. He had Princeton winning that, up, winning that game against oh, Arizona. Wow. And uh, he said that it all, this sport and this time of year, it all depends on matchups. These are two teams, again, they're going to like to score. Uh, Creighton likes to shoot threes. And uh, Princeton did a great job of guarding Arizona, another team that likes to, sh- to shoot the ball. So if uh, Princeton can uh, guard play on Creighton, they're definitely a, a lot of dog in this. Listen, do I think they're going to win this game? Ultimately, I don't. I think this has been a season that Creighton and Greg McDermott have been building for for a while. They were a preseason top 10 team. They sputtered off and they kind of regained their step back in as, the scene, as the season winded down. And now they're rolling into this tournament. I don't think this is a great matchup for them, but I still do think they're going to win. And I do like Princeton with the points here. Yeah, Creighton, they looked impressive. I believe they played uh, Baylor in their last matchup. Just trying to find right now where the public's at in this game. So 62% of the public right now on Princeton. As expected, you'd have to think that uh, the public wants to see the Cinderella run continue. All right, last college basketball question I have for you. We've broken down like three or four of the games. Your your pick of the pick of the Sweet 16, correct me if I'm wrong, is the over in the Xavier and Texas game. And then you also mentioned you like Kansas State. Who is going to win the March Madness tournament? Oh, it's a tough question. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go chalk. I want to go Alabama with every fiber of my being, but you know, for the sake of good content and good radio, I'm gonna go UCLA. They have a good story going. They've looked pretty good in almost every game they've played down the stretch. I know they lost their uh, their big man Clark 
to an, to an Achilles injury, and a lot of people thought that they were gonna, that was going to deter them. And a lot of teams, people had them out by this point. But uh, they got season bets on that team, man. Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkins, these are, these are killers that, 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 that have thrived. And this is a rematch they're having with Gonzaga that they had in the Final Four, if you remember that Jalen Suggs mm-hmm. buzzer beater in 2021. McCronin wants to win this game. They want revenge. Uh, these two teams have a lot of history in this tournament. Um, I think the guard play and the veteran uh, play that these guys have on their team, along with a great coach, you need a great coach in this time of year. I'm going uh, UCLA. I don't think they're going to be much of a threat. I don't think Bama's as big of a threat to them as people might think. They don't really have any um, great big men in Bama. They're, they rely a lot on Brandon Miller, and they rely a lot on Javon Quinterly. I think UCLA has the guys to do that, and I think Jaime Hawkins is on a revenge tour, and I think uh, I'm going to go with UCLA cutting down the nets here. All right, there it is, UCLA, and that'll be their first championship since... 90s, I believe. Yeah, I remember that because they did have Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love on that one team. I believe they made the Final Four, but I don't think they won it that year. No, they did not. They have. They haven't. I believe it's the nineties. The last time they won a championship, nineteen ninety five. I want okay. to say. Gotcha. All right, Jay. Um, let's gear. Let's change gears here a little bit. We'll go into about ten minutes or so of MLB baseball here. First, the bad news: SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real world results. That's SAP Business AI. World Baseball Classic just ended last night. Seems like it, got, it gets mixed reviews. You either love it or you hate it. What side were you on? Uh, honestly, because of the big college basketball guy I am, I didn't watch a ton of the WBC but, uh, you know, as a Mets fan, you see all the tastes that sputtered out with uh, Diaz getting hurt, and everyone seemed to have an opinion on that. Me and you talked about this. I was on the same side as you. Listen, this isn't the, the fact of the fact. This is just not as big of a tournament or as big of an event to America as it is to a small country like Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. Playing for national pride is a big thing that these countries have and do. And um, when it comes to this type of event, it's really the only one like it. The Olympics are every four years, and it's in season, so you don't really have any pros or common names playing in that. This, you get the best of the best. It's every three years, so it's not a yearly thing where you have to worry about getting hurt. And you see how the, all the countries outside of the USA take this. They take it seriously. It's a fun tournament. It's a short tournament. Obviously, some bad luck with the injuries that happened with you know Altuve and Diaz, but I think it's great for the sport. And for a sport that people keep claiming is a dying breed, I think it's something that's good to help keep the sport going. There you go. I agree with you. To say that Americans don't care, but the American players do care. Um, exactly. I saw a stat that I believe this was in the Japan-Mexico game, that 45% of the TVs in Japan were tuned into Mexico-Japan to go to the finals, which is just like super like past Super Bowl level. So to say that nobody cares is just incorrect. Everybody cares but people living in the US, and that's because we have the MLB. So you know, I could see both sides of the argument. It does suck that Edwin Diaz got hurt. He will miss the season most likely. But at the end of the day, it's a freak accident. That stuff's going to happen. And, you know, everyone argues you could play at the end of the season. I don't agree with that. After eight months and nine months of wear and tear, you want these guys to play after in these high-state games. It just screams more injuries. But regardless, it is over. The MLB starts. This will be posted on Thursday. So the MLB starts 
one week from today. What are your expectations for the Mets? Obviously, you got to take back uh, some of the expectations when you have an all-star closer like Diaz going down. He's such He was such a difference maker for this team last year. He had an edge that a lot of teams didn't have, and this guy... This guy looked as dominant as any closer, and I'm not saying he's as good as Mo, but listen, when that singular year and the dominance he brought, there was no worrying about if the Mets were going to blow this game. This guy was lights out. So you lose a key piece of that bullpen. Uh, you got to tamper back some of the expectations. I had them in the high 90s before that. I got this them probably in the low to mid-90s at best right now. I know they're dealing with some other injuries with Brandon Nimmo. They had the Quintana injury, who we might not even see till July, with a freak rib injury and a lesion. Well, who knows what's going on mm-hmm. there? So they have to tap into some of their depth already before we even throw the first pitch. But um, still, there's too much money invested on this team for them to crap out and not meet up to at least you know be a 90-win team and be in contention for the division all year. You said it perfect so, at um, the end there. Too much money invested in this team, and we've had this argument a lot about the Mets spending all the money, but there's too much money invested in this team for just a closer to make it all collapse. So I expect the Mets to be good this season. Do you have any worries at the NL? The NL's, I mean, the NL's terrific this year. Between the Braves, the Phillies, uh, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Mets, there's like five legit teams in the NL. Are the Mets the best team right now in the NL? No, I think it's still the Braves. The Braves are still going to be a powerhouse. They're going to be right there. They added this all season. They didn't lose a ton. Uh, you saw what they did last year, minus Freddie Freeman. They just kept winning and won 101 games. Um, until the Mets beat the Braves and win that division, I think it's still theirs to claim. The Phillies also improved coming off a World Series appearance, but let's be real, the Phillies just kind of got hot in October and down the stretch of that season. Up until Joe Girardi got fired, that was a team that wasn't even sniffing the playoffs. So, um, but they did make improvements. Listen, the NL East is going to be a gauntlet, and uh, you can't expect uh, the Mets to just go out there and win 101 games again. You can't. It's not realistic. You hope it happens, but I think uh, a concern of mine with this team is for the Mets that they're still lacking some power outside of Pete. I would have liked them to add another power bat somewhere down the road. But um, what about Darren Ruff? No, talk about a fry cook with an MLB contract. Yes. But um, no, yeah, power, I think, is a, a department the Mets are going to be behind the eight ball in. They ranked 15th in all of MLB last year. So, you know, just kind of middle of the pack. Good, not great. You saw the Braves, what they did. They relied on the home run ball last year and it burned the Mets. You got to hope no injuries happen. You have two veteran older pitchers who still producing at a high level. But you saw what happened with Scherzer at the end of the year. Uh, Verlander's another year older still. Again, too much money invested for this team not to not to be a mid-90s win team and, you know, secure a playoff spot with ease. I will say the Mets did win 100 games last season. They had Jacob DeGrom pitch into the seventh inning zero times. Obviously, he missed the first half of the season, and then he went returned. They babied him, and then he doesn't throw 100 pitches. He just refuses to ever pitch into the seventh inning. So 100 wins for really Scherzer and, like, .5 of DeGrom tells me that they should be in the same, at least quasi the same win range that they were last year. I do agree with you. I also like the Braves. I think it's telling that Vegas still lists them as the favorite in the NL. Quickly to the AL before we wrap it up. You are a Mets fan, but it's only fair that we quickly touch on the Yankees. What are your expectations for the Yankees this year? Still going to be a good team. Had to get that judge deal done as everyone was sweating that out earlier this year. Uh, I still think they're going to be at the top of that division. Listen, they're dealing with some injuries right now. I know they got Bader hurt. Carlos Rodon is hurt. Yeah, they, they, they got some stuff. I do like Severino. I like um, the top half of their lineup. The issue is the top their lineup is so top heavy. You know, you look at the bottom of that lineup with Higashioka, Josh Donaldson. I mean, ugh, 
not the prettiest. No, but, but they um, have some young prospects that are going to have to play, like your Oswaldo Cabreras, your Anthony Volpe's, one of their top prospects. Those type of guys are going to have to uh, play well for them because, as you've mentioned, they have a very top-heavy lineup, and that's assuming that you know Stanton's healthy and Rizzo's healthy. Rizzo's already dealing with a back injury. So there are question marks with the Yankees as well. Obviously, Rodon already starting the year on the injury list. Frankie Montas, another starting pitcher they acquired at the last year's trade deadline. He's like pretty much out for the season. They still have a good rotation. The problem with the ALJ is that the AL stinks. The Astros lost Justin Verlander. They did not replace him. Now they have Jose Altuve out for a few months. It's hard to imagine a world in how the Yankees will be better than they were last year unless Aaron Judge once again has one of the best seasons in MLB history. And then outside of those two teams, who's good in the AL? I mean, Toronto, Tampa, some people like Texas. I'm one of the guys that do like Texas. Who else is there? Cleveland? Yeah, Cleveland was a team. Yeah, they were winning despite the payroll last year. Uh, the White Sox on paper, it seems like they always have talent, but, you know, they just end up with a mediocre mid-80s record and whiff on a wild card spot. Yeah, I hate DAL. I think it's going to, just by default, is going to be the Yankees and Astros. All right, last question. I'm going to have to ask you this question before we go. Give me your World Series winner. Oof. World Series winner this early, huh? Yeah, this early. Nothing like it. I mean, the season starts in a week. Is there a better time to at least give me your winner? Love I am going to go. I love I'm, people, I'm going, people on the spot, man. I'm, go, I'm going with the Padres. Oh wow, I like that. So you all right, I, I agree with you. Padres have one of the best one through four in really MLB history. So I had this conversation with my roommate last week and I actually picked the Padres as well. For anybody living under a rock, they got Alexander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis, he'll miss the first three weeks of the season, but then he comes back. You still have Juan Soto, you still have Manny Machado, you have two top arms and you Darvish, even though he's getting older, and Joe Musgrove, you have a decent three in Blake Snell, and then you have the closer in Josh Hader. So I like the Padres pick. I believe they are uh, 12 to 1 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Jay, I expect you to send me a ticket within the next hour get, taking the Padres World Series because then it means nothing if you don't take it. You got it. You'll see that. All right, perfect. Jay, I uh, appreciate it. You're great. You're my college basketball guy, and we will uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right, later, Jay.